إن هذا القرآن يهدي للتي هي أقوم ويبشر المؤمنين ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا كبيرا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اطلع الغيب ام اتخذ عند الرحمن عهدا كلا سنكتب ما يقول ونمد له من العذاب مدا ونرثه ما يقول وياتينا فردا واتخذوا من دون الله آلهة ليكونوا لهم عزا كلا سيكفرون بعبادتهم ويكونون عليهم ضدا ألم تر أنا أرسلنا الشياطين على الكافرين تأزهم أزا فلا تعجل عليهم إنما نعد لهم عدا يوم نحشر المتقين إلى الرحمن وفدا ونسوق المجرمين إلى جهنم وردا لا يملكون الشفاعة إلا من اتخذ عند الرحمن عهدا وقالوا اتخذ الرحمن ولدا لقد جئتم شيئا إدا تكاد السماوات يتفطرن منه وتنشق الأرض وتخر الجبال هدا أن دعوا للرحمن ولدا وما ينبغي للرحمن أن يتخذ ولدا إن كل من في السماوات والأرض إلا آت الرحمن عبدا لقد أحصاهم وعدهم عدا وكلهم آتيه يوم القيامة فردا إن الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات سيجعل لهم الرحمن مدا فإنما يسرناه بلسانك لتبشر به المتقين وتنذر به قوما لدا وكم أهلكنا قبلهم من قرن هل تحس منهم من أحد أو تسمع لهم ركزا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم طه ما أنزلنا عليك القرآن لتشقى إلا تذكرة لمن يخشى تنزيلا ممن خلق الأرض والسماوات العلا الرحمن على العرش استوى 
له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض وما بينهما وما تحت الثرى وإن تجهر بالقول فإنه يعلم السر وأخفى الله لا إله إلا هو له الأسماء الحسنى وهل أتاك حديث موسى إذ رأى نارا فقال لأهلهم كثوا إني آنست نارا إني آنست نارا لعلي آتيكم منها بقبس أو أجد على النار هدى فلما أتاها نودي يا موسى إني أنا ربك فاخلع نعليك إنك بالوادي المقدس طوى وأنا اخترتك فاستمع لما يوحى إنني أنا الله لا إله إلا أنا فاعبدني إنني أنا الله لا إله إلا أنا فاعبدني وأقم الصلاة لذكري إن الساعة آتية أكاد أخفيها لتجزى كل نفس بما تسعى فلا يصدنك عنها من لا يؤمن بها واتبع هواه فتردى وما تلك بيمينك يا موسى قال هي عصاي أتوكأ عليها وأهش بها على غنمي ولي فيها مآرب أخرى قال ألقها يا موسى فألقاها فإذا هي حية تسعى قال خذها ولا تخف قال خذها ولا تخف سنعيدها سيرتها الأولى واضمم يدك إلى جناحك تخرج بيضاء من غير سوء آية أخرى لنريك من آياتنا الكبرى اذهب إلى فرعون إنه طغى قال رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي واجعل لي وزيرا من أهلي هارون أخي أشدد به أزري وأشركه في أمري كي نسبحك كثيرا ونذكرك كثيرا إنك كنت بنا بصيرا قال قد أوتيت سؤلك يا موسى 
ولقد مننا عليك مرة أخرى السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله All praise belongs to the Almighty, the All-Powerful, the Rahman, the Rahim. His blessings are too numerous to even enumerate, for He is the Aziz, the Kareem. To Him belongs all of the creation, and He shall be our judge on Yawm al-Din. We ask Him for the eternal gardens of Jannah, and seek refuge in Him from the fire of Jahim. Alhamdulillah, today we will be moving on to two surahs of the Qur'an, Surah Maryam and Surah Taha. And again, a quick reminder, Alhamdulillah, half the month has gone, how quickly Subhanallah, half the month has already gone. Uh, and so please make sure that you are doing your Quranic recitation, you're praying your Taraweeh prayers as well. Uh, also, uh, if you're not a part of our online Twitter uh, family, please do join. We're having a blast on Twitter, Alhamdulillah, those who know, know. Uh, and so uh, if you can join, uh, the hashtag is YQGems, make sure you're doing that. And uh, as usual, uh, our masjid will always appreciate any help that you can give and the donations and how to give them will be appear on your screen. So let us move on, Surah Maryam. Uh, Surah Maryam is a mid-size Mecca surah. And it was revealed very early on, as I had mentioned yesterday as well, that all of these four surahs, Isra, Kahf, uh, Maryam, and Taha, they were all four revealed very early on. And most likely in the third or fourth year of the preaching of the Prophet Surah Maryam consists of around seven verses, less than half a juz, and it is 89, uh, seven pages, it's around 89 uh, verses. And the main goal of Surah Maryam is to affirm the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to negate any partners and to negate this notion that he might have uh, children, which as you know, many faith traditions hold. Also, it is to prove the uh, hereafter. And the primary mechanism that Surah Maryam uses is the mechanism of stories. It employs stories throughout. And uh, especially in the beginning, uh, it is the story of Zakariya and Yahya and Maryam and Isa. This is the bulk of the uh, surah. Then it moves on very quickly to around a page about the story of Ibrahim and his father, and then very quickly mentions five or six prophets in quick succession. And then the last two pages are about the day of judgment uh, before the surah concludes with some of the most explicit Quranic denials of Allah Azza wa Jal possibly taking uh, a child. So we will inshallah ta'ala unpack um, all of this. But before I begin as well, this surah, it has a very special place in the seerah uh, of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and in the history of early Islam. That is because when the Muslims migrated to Abyssinia, uh, remember the Quraysh, uh, when they migrated to Abyssinia, when they were be- being persecuted, and they sought shelter in the Christian land uh, of uh, Abyssinia, and they had an emperor there by the name of Ashuma, whose title was the Najashi. The Najashi is the title, and his name was Ashuma. And uh, they sought shelter there, and the Quraysh tried to get them back. And so they sent a small delegation of two people to get them back, and so Najashi called uh, uh, the the uh, companions at the head of them was Ja'far, the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. They defended themselves and they went back. The delegates became even more enraged and they hatched a plot and they said, let us bring divisions between Christians and Muslims by bringing up the persona of Jesus. And so they said to the Najashi that they hold a heretical belief regarding Jesus. You didn't ask them about Jesus. So the messenger from the court came back to the Muslims and they said, come again tomorrow because we want to ask you about Jesus now. And so the Sahaba became worried, what is gonna happen? And Ja'far said, we shall never speak anything but the truth. I'm not gonna change 
the facts in order to please anyone. And so Naj Najashi asked Ja'far, the cousin of the Prophet what do you Muslims say about Jesus, the son of Mary? And so the uh, Ja'far, he recited this surah and he recited at least half of this surah uh, to Najashi. Can you imagine the halls of the palace of the emperor would have been reverberating with the tilawa of the cousin of the Prophet and there would have been a live translation going on as he's listening to the Quran and it is being translated into his language and it, uh, the books of Sira mentioned that as he was listening to it and the translation he was listening to, his eyes began to water and he began to cry until finally he confessed that this was the real teaching of Jesus, that what they believed was not the actual teaching of Jesus Christ himself. And of course, this surah subhanAllah, it opened up the heart of the emperor uh, of the Abyssinian kingdom to embrace Islam. He became uh, a Muslim. And when he passed away around a decade later, uh, Jibreel came and informed the Prophet Sallallahu the very minute of his passing, Jibreel came down and he, the Prophet Sallallahu announced to the Sahaba that you have a righteous brother, a brethren of ours has passed away in the faraway land of Abyssinia. And of course he was a secret Muslim, his family did not know. It is allowed to be a, a secret Muslim if circumstances are like that. He didn't tell his family, but the Sahaba knew and the Prophet Sallallahu knew. And so, there was no janazah to be prayed for him. And so the one and only time the Prophet ﷺ prayed a salat al-janazah when there was no body in front. This is called the janazah al ghaib the, the janazah over the person who's not in front of you in absentia. The only time he prayed it was for Najashi. And subhanAllah, all of this is linked to this surah because it was this surah that touched his heart so much. Therefore, once again, I keep on telling you, but especially dear Muslims, these Meccan surahs, especially especially these early Meccan surahs, listen to them in their uh, tilawa. Uh, and uh, I typically recommend one or two people. Uh, I used to listen to Shaykh Al-Ajami when I was a teenager. This particular uh, surah, Surah Maryam, he has a beautiful uh, rendering uh, from back in the 90s. You will find it on YouTube. And this was uh, a surah that I would listen to constantly on my way back and forth from the uh, university when I would go uh, when I was in, America, uh, in uh, Houston. In any case, uh, back to our surah. So uh, this surah, another interesting tidbit about it is that uh, this surah, uh, it is also uh, one of the surahs that constantly references the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman. In fact, Allah calls himself Ar-Rahman in this surah many more times than the name Allah. And uh, in fact, Ibn Taymiyyah said, this is the surah that tells us of Allah's Rahmah to his chosen ones. And uh, I want you to do a quick uh, survey, how many times does the name or the attribute of Allah's Rahmah come? Either Ar-Rahman or the attribute or the concept of Allah's Rahmah. And then you can tweet that out your answer. Let us see who gets the right answer. So go over the surah and see how often does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly mention His name Ar-Rahman or talk about His concept, the concept of the Rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The surah begins with the story of Zakariya and 
beautifully describes how Zakariya made dua. And we can quickly pause here uh, that uh, from this dua of Zakariya, we, we can extract a number of benefits about how we should make dua. Allah is telling us the dua of Zakariya so that we can learn from his dua. First and foremost, uh, Allah Azza says, إِذْ نَادَ رَبَّهُ نِدَاءً خَفِيَّةً So point number one, that he called out to Allah in a humble and hushed tone privately. When we make dua, we don't go stand in public and blare out what we want. We ask Allah in the secrecy of the last third of the night maybe, in our privacy, we ask Allah in hushed tones. Allah can hear us when we simply speak out uh, in a gentle manner, in a humble manner. Number two, uh, Zakariya, he complains to Allah that he says, my Lord, my bones have grown feeble. My gray hair has sparked whiteness across my head. And so what we do is we complain to Allah. And what does it mean to complain to Allah? Remember in the story of Yaqub and Yusuf, to complain to Allah means to describe your situation in a manner to elicit sympathy, but from Allah, not from anyone else. So Zakariya is saying that, oh my Lord, my bones have grown weak. Oh my Lord, I'm so old. Oh my Lord, look at my white hair. Have some rahmah on me, oh Allah. So this is to complain to Allah. Number three, in the dua, Zakariya praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَمْ أَكُنْ بِدُعَائِكَ رَبِّ شَقِيَّةً that, oh my Lord, I've never been disappointed in my du'as to you. Making du'a to you, Allah, has brought me pleasure. You have listened to my past du'as. And so we praise Allah when we make a du'a. Whenever we raise our hands up, we say, Oh Allah, you are the one worthy to be asked. Oh Allah, you are the one who is the Ahad, the Samad, the Rahman, the Rahim. So we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the way that he deserves. Number four, in the du'a, the whole tone of the du'a is very optimistic that Zakariya is confident that he shall gain what he wants. And this is another etiquette of dua. Our Prophet Sallallahu said, make dua to Allah while you feel certain that your duas will be responded to. Number five, when Zakariya is making a dua, that he is saying, oh Allah, give me a child, وَجْعَلْهُ رَبِّ رَضِيَّ And oh my Lord, make him someone who you are pleased with. We learn a fifth condition, and that is when we make dua about a worldly matter, we always should add a caveat that, oh Allah, grant me money and allow me to use it to come close to you. Oh Allah, grant me a child and make him righteous. Oh Allah, bless me with this job and allow that job to be a means of halal risk. So we always add the caveat. Why? Because we don't want uh, something that we get in this world to a'udhu billah become a fitna or a temptation or something that will drag us down. Anytime we ask of something of this world, we should add the clause and oh Allah, make it good for me. And oh Allah, bring righteousness through it. Now obviously, if we ask something of the hereafter, Jannah is always good. We don't say, oh Allah, grant me Jannah if you know it will be better for me. Jannah is better for you. You don't have to add the condition. But anything of this world, we should add that condition. Oh Allah, grant me a child and make it righteous and pious. Oh Allah, grant me this and that and make it a means of coming closer to you. And then the last point from all of this is look at how often Zakariya used the term Rabbi, oh my Lord. Three times he used the term Ya Rabbi or Rabbi. My Lord, oh my Rabb, and we learn from this 
that when we make dua to Allah, we should use the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as much as possible. And the name Rabb is one of the most comprehensive duas of Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. Now, when we did uh, Surah Al-Imran, I had mentioned that uh, Zakariya was an uncle to uh, Maryam. And uh, this is uh, an opinion and I glossed over it at then and then a lot of people uh, um, wrote me back on Twitter and whatnot. So to, to clarify that indeed Zakariya, according to one interpretation, is an uncle to uh, Maryam. This is one opinion, but there is another opinion out there that uh, Zakariya is the brother-in-law of Maryam. And so uh, Maryam's older sister is married to Zakariya according to the second opinion. And Maryam's mother's sister is married to Zakariya according to the first opinion. And there is we don't know which of the two is valid. In either case, uh, Yahya and Isa, they are either immediate cousins or they are first cousins once removed. So either they themselves are first cousins or Maryam and Yahya are first cousins. And so that would be that Isa and, uh, and Yahya are first cousins once removed as they say. Point being that there is that blood relation uh, between them. And Allah blesses Zakariya with Yahya. Yahya is praised in the Quran that he has been given wisdom in his youth. And we can say that how rare is it that teenagers and young children have wisdom. Wisdom typically comes with older age, but Allah blesses those whom he chooses with. And uh, in verse 13, Allah says, وَحَنَانَ مِنْ لَدُنَّا وَزَكَاةً وَكَانَ تَقِيَّةً That Yahya was a gentle, an innocent, a pure soul, and he was also righteous. SubhanAllah, being tender-hearted, being innocent, being somebody who's compassionate, being somebody who doesn't have bad thoughts, doesn't take advantage of the situation. This is a blessing from Allah. And Allah says, we made Zakariya tender. We made Zakariya compassionate and loving. And that's a great, great personality to have, especially uh, in the relationship of a son. And so Allah praises that, that we gave Zakariya, we gave Yahya uh, these characteristics. Uh, the next uh, chapter or the next story in the Surah Maryam from 16 to 38. It is the longest section. It is the story of Maryam and Isa and how Maryam became frightened when she saw Jibreel and she thought this was a man who had an evil intent. And so she reminded Jibreel to fear Allah and she sought refuge in Allah herself. At times of distress, you turn to Allah and you warn the person about the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Of course, it was not a person, it was Jibreel. So Jibreel gives her the good news and Maryam withdraws to a remote place away from the temple all alone. And subhanAllah, she has lived a very isolated and sheltered life anyway. She has never experienced uh, the pangs of childbirth. And so can you imagine how her situation would have been? Can you imagine how difficult she, the emotion she has, the pain, the loneliness, there's not a single human being to help her and she is delivering a child giving birth. And so the Quran describes that in very vivid detail that she seeks refuge under the, the shade of a tree and she's holding on to the tree and she says, Ya laytani mittu qabla hadha wa kuntu nasiyam mansiyya. How I wish I had died before this and no one ever had heard of me. And subhanAllah, sometimes dear Muslims, sometimes dear brothers and sisters, life gets very, very difficult and bad thoughts come across our minds. Sometimes we just wish 
that this would all finish, even though technically Maryam, she is not asking for it to finish now. She is saying that I wish I had never been born. Nonetheless, it is true that sometimes life becomes very difficult and these types of thoughts come. Dear Muslim who's struggling with these issues, whether they, they're depression, whether there's just bad thoughts or anxiety, dear Muslim brother and sister, know that you can turn to Allah and know that when you turn to Allah, you will be blessed. You will be given many miracles, Maryam السلام, turned to Allah and what happened? What happened? Allah sent an angel to comfort her. Allah sent an angel to speak to her. Allah caused a river to flow next to her. Allah said to her, shake the tree and date palms are going to come. Even in the most difficult situations, turn to Allah and you will find your own mini miracles happening. Maybe not an entire river will become, maybe they will, but maybe not an entire river. But I guarantee you, not because I am speaking, but Allah is saying, as the Quran says, whoever puts his trust in Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will find a way out for him. Dear Muslim, struggling with negative thoughts, struggling with depression, obviously, you know, get help if you need to, no problem there. But the ultimate help is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Make sure you turn to Him. Make sure you open your heart to Him. Make sure that you plead in front of Him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will help you as He helped Maryam all alone. And still, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed her with so many miracles and she found that inner strength to continue and to persevere. So too, inshallah, you too, Allah will grant you that inner strength that you uh, need. So she comes back, the Quran tells us, carrying the baby and she has been forbidden to speak. And so she points to the baby and they say, how can we speak to the baby? And the baby itself becomes the miracle, speaking from the cradle. And what does the baby say? What does this child that has just been born a few hours ago say? Uh, the baby says that I am the servant of Allah. I am the Nabi of Allah. I am the one whom Allah has sent. That he has uh, commanded me to pray and to give charity as long as I live. There is no vacation from the worship of Allah. Your life is itself a gift. The least that we can do is that we are regular and routine in our generosity to others, in our zakah and charity, and in our prayers to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I am a righteous son to my mother. SubhanAllah, the baby is reminding us of some of the most basic concepts of what it means to be somebody who submits to Allah, worship Allah properly and be good unto others, especially your parents, especially your uh, mother. And what follows, verse 33 onwards, uh, is the uh, reality that this is the story or this is the reality of Jesus. This is the true narrative. They are arguing and I'm telling you exactly what uh, Jesus was and what was the uh, story about uh, Jesus. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that their groups differed amongst themselves regarding the reality of Jesus. And I said a few days ago, and I will repeat, these types of phrases truly are mind boggling because the average person, even the average Christian at that time had no idea of all of the various uh, councils and, and, and heresies and various uh, Christological, they're called controversies over the nature of Jesus Christ. And the Quran is very explicit. There were so many sects, so many groups about uh, what is the nature of Jesus. 
and Allah is saying, and I know exactly what it is, and this is what it is. And this is a miracle of the Quran to even point out all of these things and then to say exactly how Jesus himself was. The story uh, then moves on to Ibrahim and his father, verses 41 to 50. And look how perfect are the manners of Ibrahim and his father. Marvel in the face of such opposition, such hostility, such antagonism. Ibrahim keeps his composure. Ibrahim keeps his dignity and keeps his akhlaq always at the level highest. And he keeps on addressing his father. Ya abati, ya abati, ya abati. My dearest father, my dearest father. In spite of the harshness, even when his father says, get out of here, I shall kill you. I shall stone you to death. Even then, Ibrahim says, Salamun alayk, sa'astaghfirullaka rabbi, that peace be unto you, I will continue to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you. To the very end, Ibrahim maintains his compassionate side. And so, when he is patient with his father, what was the result? We granted him righteous children and grandchildren. Subhanallah, the good treatment that you give to others, it shall be rewarded. When Ibrahim was so patient and so loving and so considerate, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with loving children and loving grandchildren. And this is what Allah Azza wa keeps on telling us. Uh, there is a phrase in our literature, Kama tadinu tudan, as you do unto others, it shall be done unto you. That when you show such compassion and mercy to others, especially to your parents, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant you as well the, the righteous offspring that will show you that compassion and uh, mercy. mercy. Uh, the, the surah goes on, and a number of prophets are, are, are mentioned by name, and we are told of them and to take them as role models. And then we are told that all of them would prostrate in front of Allah when the verses of uh, uh, the Quran or the verses of Revelation were recited to them. And this is one of the places in the Quran that has the famous ayat al-sajda or the verses of sajda, where we are strongly encouraged if we listen to it in Arabic, obviously in the English we don't have to, but if we listen to it in Arabic, we are strongly encouraged to uh, prostrate to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at this point in time. Then at the very next verse comes a warning. After all of these beautiful stories, verse 59, it should really terrify us because may Allah protect us, but sometimes we feel maybe we are falling into this. After them, generations came. What happened to them? What did they do? They delayed, they were lazy in their prayers. They didn't pray regularly. Ibrahim and uh, uh, the previous prophets and Isa from his childhood, from when, when he was an infant, they're saying the same thing. But then what happens? Later generations come, they get lazy and they delay their prayers. And instead, they followed their desires, they, their lusts. And these people, they shall suffer the consequences. Prayer, dear Muslims, automatically controls one's desires. And leaving the prayer, delaying the prayer, not being, uh, not being uh, particular about the prayer, it opens up the doors for following one's desires. And therefore, from the beginning of time, from the very core of the Quranic message, 
piety and prayer are linked together. Piety and prayer go hand in hand. The more observant one is in one's prayer, the more one's heart is attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Therefore, dear Muslim, look at your lifestyle and see how regular are you in the prayers. And through that, you will see how much your heart is attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the next section, Surah Maryam beautifully describes Jannah, some of the most beautiful verses. And there is a verse here as well that has another interesting story, verse 64. We only come down when Allah allows us to come down. He knows what is ahead of us and what is behind us and what is all around us. And indeed, your Lord is precise and not forgetful. This verse came down, remember it's early Islam. Whenever Jibreel would come, the Prophet would love to meet Jibreel. Being in the company of angels, it made him happy, it made him good. Obviously, the angel is coming down and in some narrations, we even fear that the Prophet would prepare himself, he would dress up if he knew he was coming. And so Jibreel would cheer up the Prophet And the Prophet asked Jibreel, why don't you come more often? We, we, we want to see you, why don't you come more often? You only come every time you have a revelation. I want to meet you. And subhanAllah, people of piety are attracted to piety. You want to be in the company of the righteous. The Prophet wanted Jibreel to come and Allah then revealed this verse. We can only come down when Allah allows us to come down. We are not mortals like you. We have a mission. We only come when Allah allows us to come. I'm not just free to come here and there. So Allah is saying to the Prophet ﷺ that Jibreel is only gonna come down when he has that task to uh, do. And in this section as well, after the description of Jannah, then there is the description of the Day of Judgment. And uh, one of the verses here is very important, and that is the only verse in the Quran that indirectly, not directly, indirectly references the bridge or the sirat that every one of us shall pass over. Verse number 71, There is none amongst you except that you must pass over it. This is indeed an unavoidable decree from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the surah concludes uh, by uh, some of the most strict, some of the most blunt, some of the most powerful verses regarding the false claim, the blasphemous claim that Allah Azza wa Jal might possibly have children. These verses negate that uh, claim. And I need to preface this by stating that one of the sad realities of our modern world is that we have been conditioned now to no longer have a strong sense of what it means to have faith or Iman in Allah and in the oneness of Allah. A lot of us, we don't have that sense of honor or in Arabic, the term is ghira for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are taught a version of live and let live to the extent of don't worry about anything. And, and it is true, we live and let live in the sense, nobody can force anyone to do anything, but still we live and let live, sure. But in our hearts, we know what is the truth. And in our hearts, it, it we find it a, an element of, of offensiveness and uh, an element of how can can you possibly say this? Let me give you a simple example that will help illustrate this point that imagine, uh, given for example the current crises right now, everybody is respecting doctors, everybody is uh, is looking up at the people and they deserve a lot of our respect for what they're doing here. Imagine a doctor that has saved so many lives, that is working effortlessly, a renowned illustrious doctor uh, who's really doing so much to help the community uh, and somebody then comes and insults this doctor. Somebody says really nasty things or maybe even more than this. How would we feel? Even if we, I mean how would we feel? We would feel a sense of, of, of 
like pious rage, like how dare you do that? Why would you do that to this to this doctor we all admire? So, to Allah belongs the infinitely more perfect example. How should we feel when others describe Allah in blasphemous manners? We should feel a sense of pious, you know, like why would you say that? How could you say that? Even if they have the right, it doesn't make it right in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They might have the political right, even in an Islamic land, a Christian and a Jew is allowed to have those beliefs. But that doesn't mean our hearts should be allowed to find those beliefs comfortable. They are not correct because Allah is too majestic, too holy to have this description. And so Allah tells us this description, and let me read these verses for you in fact. Verse 88 onwards, They say, Ar-Rahman has taken a son, a child. You have brought forth a monstrosity. You have brought forth something that is blasphemous. The heavens themselves are going to split up. The earth is going to rupture. The mountains are going to crumble if they hear this statement when they attribute to the most merciful that they have a son. The mountains are going to crumble. The earth is going to shatter. Every object of the creation is screaming. Yet we here in this world are flesh and blood. We don't seem to mind this. No, it is not befitting for the Ar-Rahman to have a son. Every single creation in the heavens and earth, it comes to Allah as a created servant, not as a son. It is not befitting that Allah has a son. He has enumerated them one by one. He knows each and every entity and each one of them will come alone to answer for himself on the day of judgment. And indeed, verse 96, 96 those who believe and do righteous deeds, Rahman shall write for them love. That's a beautiful verse. You want to be loved, right? You want Allah to love you? You want the angels to love you? You want mankind to love you? How do you get the love from Allah and even from the creation of Allah? Those who believe and do good deeds, Allah shall write acceptance and love for them. And verse 98, how many generations have we destroyed before them? Oh Quraysh, how many generations? Can you even feel any of them? Or even can you hear a whisper from them? They're all gone. So how do you know, O Quraysh, Allah will not do the same unto you. So this is uh, Surah Maryam, beautiful Surah. Uh, we now quickly do Surah uh, Taha. Surah Taha, uh, as we mentioned, it is one of the earliest revelations. It's a mid-sized surah, half a juz, 10 pages, and it is 135 verses. And the primary goal of Surah Taha is to enumerate the blessings of Allah upon His Prophets, and hence the followers of the Prophets, and to talk about the trials that the Prophets will face. And the surah also is a very detailed uh, surah about the story of Musa salam. and the surah also plays uh, a role in the Sirah because Umar ibn al-Khattab, he set out one day in his anger, a'udhu billah, to kill the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then he read this surah and he read it in the uh, house of his sister. And because of it, he embraced Islam. And so this surah touched the heart of Umar ibn al-Khattab till he became who he became. And of course, uh, the surah also has the story of the people of Fir'aun. What a linkage here. The, the, the sorcerers of Fir'aun, how they started in the morning, then they saw 
saw the miracle and then they converted so strongly. So to Umar ibn Khattab, how he started in the morning, he saw the miracle of Surah Taha and then he converted so strongly. And it's beginning lines, it reminds us Taha, ma anzalna alayka al-Qur'ana litashqa. Taha, we did not reveal this Qur'an for you so that you be distressed, so that you be in grief. In other words, the Qur'an and grief do not go hand in hand. The Quran lifts up grief. The Quran dissolves your stress. We did not reveal this Quran for you to cause you grief and distress. The Quran is not gonna cause you grief and distress. Turn to the Quran and your grief will be eliminated. Your stress will be dissolved. The Quran is the ultimate cure to our internal anxieties and stress. And then what follows is a solid 90 verses that is two thirds of the surah about Musa and the journey of Musa beginning from uh, Allah's conversation on Mount uh, Sinai. And in verse 14, what is the first thing that Allah said to Musa on Mount Sinai? Innani ana rabbuk, that I am your Lord. Innani ana Allahu la ilaha illa ana fa'budni wa aqimis salata li dhikri. Worship me and establish the salah to remember me by. Subhanallah, the first thing that the toddler Jesus utters is to pray. The first thing that Allah says to Musa on Mount Sinai is to pray. The first thing that our Prophet tells our, uh, that Allah tells our Prophet after the revelation of Iqra is to pray. Uh, and in the journey of Isra and Miraj, this is what our Lord told the Prophet himself. Then Allah confers the status of prophethood on Musa. And he grants him these mighty miracles of the staff and of the hand coming out and being a dazzling light. And now he has this amazing miracle and Allah says to him, Go to Fir'aun, and what does Musa do? Imagine if one of us had such supernatural powers. Imagine if we could turn a, a staff into a snake, what would we do? We would rush out and say, yes, I can conquer the world. But Musa understands that he cannot do so without the help of Allah. And so Musa, right when he's been given these massive miracles, Musa makes a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of us are aware of this dua. Verses 25 onwards, he said, O oh my Lord, put my heart at ease and ease my task for me and untie the knot from my tongue so that they can understand my speech and appoint for me a helper from my own family. Harun, he is my brother. Strengthen me with him and have him share my mission so that we may glorify you and remember you much. Indeed, O oh Allah, you always watch over us. What a comprehensive dua. Think about this dua, ponder over it, and imagine, subhanAllah, Musa understood, despite the physical miracle that he had, what was more important was the help of Allah. So even though he's given that divine miracle, the first thing that he says, oh my Lord, make my task easy for me. Oh my Lord, allow me to go and strengthen me. Oh my Lord, you make my heart comfortable and at ease. Without Allah's blessings, nothing happens. Even with the miracles of Musa, he turned to Allah and he goes, help me along the way. Also notice, what a generous heart. You know, when one of us, we get something, we put it in our pockets and we don't want anybody to share. It's all mine. I get the chocolate, I get the candy, I get the ice cream, nobody's gonna share it. So, you know, that's the reality we have. We just want it for me, myself and I. Imagine Musa has been made a prophet. 
And what's the first thing on his mind? Oh Allah, can I share this? Can I, can I bring my brother in as well? I love my brother, I want him to have this as well. SubhanAllah, when you give unto others, you actually increase your own share as well. Your generosity will come back to you. Musa wanted to share and this only increased his own blessings. And Allah gave him that will. And Allah Azza wa granted him Harun as a prophet as well. And Musa, uh, after this section of verses, after verse 36 onwards, he is reminded of the blessings of Allah from his childhood that his mother putting him in the basket, his sister following him, making sure that he doesn't drown, Fir'aun taking him and then raising him, his accidental manslaughter when he accidentally kills somebody, fleeing away, finding protection in Madhyam. His entire life is summarized in less than one verse. Read it, it is truly a miracle how the Qur'an in such beautiful language just summarizes the entire life of Musa. The goal being, O Musa, at every stage of your life, I took care of you. And through this, our Prophet is being reminded, Ya Rasulullah, at every stage of your life, when you were an orphan, when your mother died, when your father was uh, died, when your grandfather died, at every stage of your life, I took care of you. Do you think I'm going to abandon you now? Then when you have come to all of this, O Musa, then, uh, you came at the appointed time, what was Qadr? You were supposed to meet me after going Going through every single one of these stages, that meeting place was right here and now, and everything is in accordance with my plan. Dear Muslims, obviously none of us is prophets, but every one of our lives and every aspect of our lives is controlled by the same book that controls the lives of the prophets, that Umm al-Kitab that is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So too, dear Muslim, every one of us in our own ways, every one of us has been protected by Allah to get to where we are today. Allah wanted us to be where we are right here and now so that we can then go forth and do our tasks what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do with the help of Allah. Throughout our lives, whatever has happened to us, the ups and the downs, they were meant for our betterment to be right here and now so that we have the potential now to move forward and to do the tasks that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has assigned for us. All of it is with the qadr of Allah. And so Fir'aun uh, Musa is told, go to Fir'aun, idhaba ila Fir'aun, innahu tagha. He has indeed acted in an arrogant manner. And then they are told, faqula lahu qawla layyinan. Speak to him in a soft and gentle manner. Perhaps Fir'aun might become mindful of Allah. Perhaps Fir'aun might begin to fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this verse has been used so many times in our classical literature, uh, in various instances and circumstances between people that have had debates and arguments that one of them always brings this verse up and it is so relevant because the best of the best and that is Musa is being told to go to the worst of the worst and that is Fir'aun and to display gentleness and kindness. Speak to him gently and therefore any time we go to advise another person. And honestly, it is so, so sad what we see, the reality. And may Allah forgive some of our brethren, some of our overzealous brothers that when they learn something right, it is right what they know. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's wrong what they know, but sometimes they wanna present it. But the way they present it is so harsh that they turn people away from the truth, not because 
because of the truth, but because of their own harshness and arrogance. And where was that knowledge when they should benefit from the mannerisms of the people of knowledge? Where did that knowledge come in handy when they read the Quran and Allah is telling to Musa, when you go to Fir'aun, be gentle with Fir'aun. Why can't a Muslim who comes to another Muslim then have even more gentleness? Because neither is the first person better than Musa, nor is the second person worse than Fir'aun. SubhanAllah, where did that softness and gentleness go? And I say to you, dear Muslims, and this is the honest truth, that the average Muslim, Alhamdulillah, they want to be good, they want to be righteous. But one of the main reasons, one of the main impediments, and it is a shaitanic excuse, meaning that it's not going to be accepted, it's not a valid excuse, but it is true. One of the main reasons that people are turned away from becoming uh, more religious is the vibe that some of them get from their version of the people of religion, the negativity, the harshness, the bad mannerisms. Sadly, sometimes a person of religion turns people away from religion, not because of the religion, but because of the manners and characteristics of this person. And so my advice to both segments of mankind, those that they assume themselves to be religious, you are never truly religious unless it is demonstrated in your mannerisms. I swear to you, you don't have knowledge if you're not humble in front of the people. This means your knowledge was of no use to you. The greatest of men, the prophets of Allah, they were humble in front of the worst of people and that is Fir'aun. So if you are not able to demonstrate that, then you're knowledge has failed you. And then I also want to advise others who see this level of perhaps arrogance or harshness and they reject religion, I say to them, separate, you know, as they say, the, the baby from the bathwater, separate the forest from the trees. Don't turn away from your Lord and your Creator. Don't turn away from the Book of Allah because of the bad manners of one or two people. That's not a valid excuse. Sift through, you know, what is Allah asking and what maybe a person, uh, you know, might be, uh, might be portraying, uh, which is not a valid portrayal of the faith. Back to our story though, but it is important because it goes back to this issue of uh, uh, Musa's gentleness to Fir'aun. Back to our story, that uh, the, the story of the magicians is now told in a lot of detail. And look at how quickly the magicians, they embrace Islam and how strong their Iman becomes. In verse 72, uh, when Fir'aun threatens to kill them, to torture them to death, to crucify them. Fir'aun says, I'm gonna chop off your hands and legs from opposite sides. I'm gonna mutilate you while you're alive and hang your bodies while you're alive from the uh, for, uh, crucifixes. I'm gonna put them on, on date palms to, so that you die a slow and miserable death. Verse 72, We are not gonna prefer you over these evidences that Allah has given to us. That the one who created us, we will choose him over you. Do as you please to do. You only rule this world, you don't rule the next world. We have believed in our Lord so that He may forgive our sins and He may forgive this sorcery that you forced upon us. And indeed, Allah is better and more lasting. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, Whoever comes to his Lord guilty, that person shall be punished in Jahannam, where she, he shall neither live nor die. But whoever comes to Allah as a believer, having worked righteous deeds, that is the person who shall have the highest ranks. Jannatu Adnin, gardens of perpetuity, beneath which rivers flow, dwelling therein forever. That is indeed the reward for those who purify themselves. And as I said, this surah has a profound impact on Umar ibn al-Khattab. It is as if we see the exact 
exact same verses that had the impact on Fir'aun, uh, on the magicians of Fir'aun, we see the same thing in the life of our uh, Khalifa Umar ibn Khattab an, that within just reciting the surah, it caused his iman to go from one second to one to kill uh, the Prophet to then become the greatest of the great after Abu Bakr as-Siddiq. And subhanAllah, this is the strength of iman when it comes in the uh, heart. Surah Taha then goes on and it mentions in the only place in the whole Quran, this is the only time it occurs, the story of a Samiri, the story of a Samiri. And a Samiri, uh, he was an, an evil religious leader. Some say he was even a rabbi, uh, meaning a religious clergy type from the time of Musa and Harun, who saw an opportunity to gain power. And uh, he most likely, uh, read the story in the Quran, most likely he saw uh, Jibreel go by, maybe even with the, uh, the horse of Jibreel, and he took some remnants from uh, the footsteps of Jibreel, and he then used it to cause uh, 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 the, the golden calf to make some sound as if it was uh, alive. And so he then deluded the people of Israel, uh, the children of Israel to worship the golden calf instead of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and he became the chief rabbi of the, of that cult of the golden uh, calf. And the main lesson that I want to extract, much can be said, the main lesson I want to extract, and it is a terrifying one, dear Muslims, and I've already referenced this in, a little bit in the past, that we seek Allah's refuge from evil people of knowledge because they represent a very, very dangerous category. We seek Allah's refuge, A'udhu Billah, that I am ever amongst them or any of us is ever amongst them or we're ever influenced by them. But there is a category of people, a Samiri is their leader, uh, that type of, of persona, who will literally sell their Akhirah for the sake of this dunya. A'udhu Billah, A'udhu Billah, we seek Allah's refuge. They will sell themselves for a measly profit. They will sell their religiosity to the highest bitter. In the case of a Samiri, that bitter was fame, was a cultish following to have people come up to him. In the case of others, it might be money, it might be uh, acquiescence to a dictator, to a tyrant, it might be power, it might be wealth, whatever it might be. But there is a small category, A'udhu Billah, we seek Allah's refuge, of people of knowledge, people who are associated with ilm, that A'udhu Billah, they are misguiding under the garb of piety. And therefore, I need to be very explicit here, dear Muslims, any time a person of the religion is not calling to Allah and His Messenger, but calling to Himself, beware of that person. Our religion is not based upon cultish personalities. Our religion is based upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the worship of Allah based upon the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah. The job and the role of an alim, of a teacher, of a shaykh is to connect you to Allah, to the Quran, to the sunnah. The job of a person of knowledge is so that you are inspired to be a better person worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and loving the messenger. Any scholar who create who is creating a personality cult around himself and demands unquestioned loyalty and acquiescence and cultish following, beware of that person, beware of that person, beware of that person. The true scholar humbles himself so that the goal is not the scholar, the goal becomes the religion, the goal becomes connecting the people with the religion and the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And don't follow those scholars that are following a Samiri, a Samiri 
wanted to become uh, his own cultish following and the people follow him. And so Allah punished him in this world and, and Musa says in, in Surah Taha and what is gonna be punished in the, in the hereafter is even more than uh, this. Uh, the surah then, moves on to some of the most powerful eye-opening verses about the day of judgment, verse 103 onwards, that uh, people presume that they've only lived for uh, five days or 10 days. Uh, and uh, the Quran says that in fact, some people will swear to Allah that they've only lived for one day, meaning when they come on the day of judgment and they will see that their whole lives has, have been spent with doing nothing and they're coming empty handed. They haven't done enough good deeds to show. They will then deny that how could they have had a solid 60, 70, 80, 90 years? How could they have lived so long and done so little? So they will argue with Allah that, oh Allah, we only have been given 10 days or even one day you didn't give us enough time. And so we don't wanna be amongst those people. Take advantage of your time, study for the exam on the final day so that insha'Allah ta'ala we pass it with uh, flying colors. And uh, the, the, this section is very uh, powerful. That verse 108 onwards, on that day, يَتَّبِعُونَ الدَّاعِيَ They're gonna follow uh, the caller without any deviation, wherever the caller goes, whether it is to Jannah or Jahannam. And on that day, وَخَشَعَتِ الْأَصْوَاتُ Rahman. Voices will be hushed in front of Ar-Rahman and you will hear nothing except the murmuring. On that day, no intercession will be accepted unless Allah has allowed. And faces will be humbled in front of the ever-living, the Hay, the Qayyum. وَعَنَتِ الْوُجُوهُ and whoever does righteous deeds while being a believer, that is the person who shall fear nothing uh, and shall have nothing to grieve. And how does one get to that stage? Verse 113, by reading the Quran and by asking Allah for no more knowledge. Verse 114, How does one protect oneself from all of those punishments? Through the Quran and through the knowledge that comes from the Quran. And so we ask Allah for Quranic knowledge and we we ask Allah for knowledge of the religion. وَقُلْ رَبِّ زِدْنِي عِلْمًا This is one of the Quranic du'as that our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has been commanded uh, uh, to, to make throughout uh, his life. And so make sure we memorize this du'a and we say it over and over again. The story uh, concludes once again with the story of Adam and Iblis, once again it is mentioned. And this time we are told uh, a very interesting point that when Adam is coming down, Allah makes an announcement. Verse 123, that there shall come guidance from time to time. So whoever follows my guidance, that person shall never go astray, nor shall they suffer. And the one who turns away from my guidance, that person shall live a miserable life and then be resurrected on the day of judgment blind. Notice here, the one who follows guidance shall not suffer in this world, meaning spiritually they're gonna be good. And the one who turns away from guidance shall have a miserable life in this world. Notice one of the main messages of the Quran that unfortunately many of our Muslims, uh, brothers and sisters don't understand is that peace will only come through religion. Happiness, contentment of life. Contentment does not come from worldly possessions. It doesn't come from how much you own. Ask anybody who owns more than you do. Ask the millionaire, the millionaire, ask the billionaire, the billionaire, ask the multi-billionaire. 
share. Doesn't matter how much you own. Inner happiness is not found in external positions, possessions. It comes from within. And Allah says, how do you get it? Whoever follows my guidance shall be at peace. Whoever turns away from my guidance shall live a miserable life. And the surah concludes by consoling the Prophet against the rejection of his own people and commanding him to seek refuge in Allah and in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once again, this linkage is very common. It's gonna hurt you what they're saying. So what should you do? So turn to Allah, be a role model to your own family, command your family to pray. This is in Surah Taha that Ya Rasulullah, as well, tell your family to pray as well, not just you. Look at the prayer, how many times it has come up. And make sure that you are patient in that command. You know, it's difficult, brothers and sisters. We all know telling your children, telling your teenage children to pray. It's a never-ending job. My advice to myself and all of you, remember this verse. Be extra patient. Notice Allah says, وَاسْتَبِرْ Not even وَاسْبِرْ. وَاسْتَبِرْ means extra patient. It is so difficult to always remind, always after a while you feel like giving up. Guess what? Never give up, never give up. Even if it's just for the sake of Allah, that oh Allah, I tried, never lose hope. Be a role model to your family, your cousins, your relatives in a gentle manner, in a wise manner. As we said, never be harsh, but at the same time, Try your best to influence people to be of those who regularly uh, pray because that is the ultimate way that we will uh, reconnect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And with this, we come to the conclusion of uh, Surah Maryam and Surah Taha. And inshaAllah ta'ala, uh, tomorrow we'll be doing uh, the next uh, juz, Surah Al-Anbiya and Surah Al-Hajj. I will see you then. Until then, Jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصمد ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر يريد الله بكم اليسر ولا يريد بكم العسر ولتكملوا العدة ولتكبروا الله على ما هداكم ولعلكم تشكرون